Hello, Monetization Nation. Today, I am excited to be joined by Stephen Denny. Stephen is a marketing consultant, author, and speaker. He's currently the president at Denny Marketing, a strategic marketing consultancy focusing on competitive marketing strategy, channel marketing, sales enablement, and go-to-market strategies. His new book, Unfiltered Marketing, Five Rules to Win Back Trust, Credibility, and Customers in a Digitally Distracted World explores the impact of technology on culture and what business leaders need to do to win in this noisy environment. Thank you so much for joining us today, Stephen. Nathan, it's great to be here. Thanks for the invitation. I'm really excited to have you because you cover several topics that I am super passionate about. And uh and I'm, I'm really excited, me personally, to learn from you in this episode. So, Stephen, can you start off telling us something that you are super passionate about? If, if we're talking about business issues, um, I think I said this once upon a time in my, like my Amazon author page or something, but I've, I've, I've always been fascinated with leverage. I've always been fascinated by the ability to combine one thing with another thing and come out with something that's dramatically different than the sum of the parts. Um, and that's, that's you know, largely colored how I've gone about writing, I've gone about consulting. I've always kind of cast myself in this role of, of big ideas delivered. And, and I think that's important. But at the same time, it's like, you know, sometimes the, you know, the, the, the solution to your salvation is sitting right in front of you. Yes. And, and, and you have to be creative in how you assemble or reassemble the, the assets that you've got at your disposal. And, and I've found that some of the biggest wins in my career have come from, from doing just that. Uh, so that's the business side. You know, what am I passionate about? Listen, man, I got, I got two kids and three dogs and, and, and a long suffering, beautiful wife. So, my, you know, my personal passions in life at this point, I, I've, I've got one who, one child who is, you know, successful escape velocity now into life. And I'm very proud of him. And I got a 13 year old and, and it's all about baseball tournaments on the weekends and making sure the dogs are taken care of. So my time is never my own. That sums up just about 20 hours of my 24 hour life. Can you tell us your story, your journey to be this expert marketer, and specifically in this niche topic of, of unfiltered marketing. I grew up in a, in a musical family where my mother was a Broadway star. My father was a, a classically trained singer. My older brothers uh, uh, works in, in music, a musical director in, in, in New York, who's worked with most of the big names on stage and screen. And I was the black sheep of the family. I ran away from the circus. And, uh, and got an MBA and, uh, and actually got a job. <clears throat> very revolutionary, so very countercultural in my family to do this kind of thing. Um, <laughs> you know, and I went through that career path of uh, working at some very large you know, companies <clears throat> and had, a, had an interesting time of it. But you know, as I reached a certain place in my life and in my career, um, I had this gravitational pull to do something slightly different. And it wasn't so much, oh, I've got to be an entrepreneur. Or, oh, I've got to do anything in particular. What I found was that I had this growing sort of lack of belief in what I was seeing around me. And I, and I walked away from a situation. Um, this was 14, 15 years ago now on my own terms. And 
a week later, a friend of a friend said he needed help with the PR, which turned out to be everything outside the actual product definition of his company. And that became my first consulting client. And I've been consulting ever since. So uh, that's that, you know, my path, you know, going down, you know, from this, this evolution, uh, and I will not call it a hero's journey. Uh, It didn't feel very heroic at all times, but it was a journey, nevertheless, Um, you know, brought me to this point where I, I had this point of view that had to get out. And this was the early days of blogging and an early mentor of mine, which is a very successful creativity uh, consultant and writer, Roger Van Eck, uh, who wrote uh, Whack on the Side of the Head. If you've, if you've read his book or seen his deck of cards, they're very brilliant. <clears throat> and I sat down with him for coffee in Palo Alto one day and, and without preamble, without introduction, said, what the hell is wrong with you? Why haven't you written your book yet? And I said, well, here's what I'm thinking. And thus begat my first book, which was Killing Giants. Uh, 10 strategies to topple the Goliath in your industry, which I'm Hold happy really to quick. say a lot of people. Book up really quick. Oh, on. I have it. I've got it right here. I've always got a prop. Killing Giants came out in 2011. And yeah, me too. I've got yep, it right there here. There it is. Well. There it is. We all have props today. Um, you know, I'm happy to say a lot of people really love that book. And I, I still get requests to do keynotes, I still get requests to do podcast interviews, focusing on this book that was that was really put to bed in 2010 and it was read, it, you know, it was, it was designed, it was written to be story driven and, and to let the heroes speak for themselves. I did my best to get the hell out of the way. Uh, but it is somewhat timeless from a credibility standpoint. If you're going to be a solo consultant, it really helps to have a book, you know, in your, in your portfolio, it is a 250 page business card. And it's, it's, it's a good way to, sort of codify your thinking, to organize your thinking. Um, and that really kind of started me on the path that I'm on now. So <clears throat> fast forward 10 years and many clients later, and this new book, Unfiltered Marketing, which has its roots in killing giants, to be clear. Um, my co-author and I, Paul Leinberger, and I wrote this book based on five years of global quantitative research into the intersection of technology and culture. And the, again, the, the root structure here is deeply embedded in Killing Giants. What was very ethnographic, very story-driven uh, in the case of, of unfiltered marketing became very quantitative. So we were able to, to sort of take some of the big ideas and the big learnings out of Killing Giants and simplify it and then go out into the world and, and begin to talk about it and begin to get consumer responses. So uh, it was an interesting way of quantifying what was inter- inherently a very organic process. Yeah. That's how I got here. So, so uh, why, don't you, why don't you take us through that book? Let's do a high level Reader's Digest version of, of the Killing Giants book and your 10 strategies to topple the Goliaths in our industry. Mm-hmm. Um, will you talk to us about Thin Ice? Which is yeah. Let's talk about a few of the chapters. I don't think we have to go through all of them. I found in Killing Giants again. This began with an email exchange with a former direct report of mine from at the time, you know, several years prior, who told me that she was enjoying life after after our mutual company, and and she was competing against two giants in her industry. One being 
Microsoft and the other being Logitech, if I remember correctly, it's been a while. And, and being a, a former boss, I felt compelled to sort of answer a question and give direction, not that she asked. And, and I started giving her some thoughts and all of a sudden they realized I'd written 4,000 words in this email. And I said, oh my God, this would be so rude to actually send. You know, I mean, imagine reading this on your iPhone. It's like, oh my God, what's he done? And so I ended up cutting it all off onto a, onto a, a blank Word document on my desktop. And it sat there for a while. And I sent her a two-line email. Oh, God, glad all was well. Keep in touch, you know. <laughs> and, and this thing just sort of festered on my laptop. And the more I thought about it, the more I kept coming back to it and saying, you know, <clears throat> here's another idea I should write down. And it became this little manifesto growing. And that's what Roger sat me down and talked to me about, because I was starting to blog about this. And um, so Killing Giants sort of took on a life of its own. Um, Thin Ice is one of my favorite chapters because it, it discusses how smart, nimble companies outmaneuver the giants they face out there in the world. And so many of the people that I spoke to um, loved the title, but were very quick to say, and we're not trying to kill anybody. We're trying to be left alone. We don't want too much attention from the giant. Yeah. But we want to be over here doing our thing and they can go do their thing, you know, over there. Thin Ice talked about uh, basically, you know, luring the giant out over the thin ice of your own creations, surviving and thriving in a place where they cannot. Um, and it was a tremendous amount of fun. If I remember correctly, and it's been a while, I don't have those notes in front of me, but some of the interviews, some of the case studies I, I, I got to, to get into in that book, Robin Lee of Baidu, as luck would have it, he was doing a lecture. At the time I was living in Santa Cruz, California, and I was literally driving in my car. <clears throat> and I heard that he was gonna be at Stanford over the hill doing some speech. And I thought, oh my God, what's my day look like? He's on my list, I wanna to talk to him. So I put on a clean shirt and drove over to Palo Alto, got one of the last tickets there and he gave a speech. And as they did Q&A, I kind of shouldered a bunch of undergrads out of the way and had my phone in my pocket, hit record, stuck it in my pocket and asked him a question he didn't want to answer. And it was a very awkward experience for him and his handlers. <clears throat> but he gave me that money quote that I needed. And uh, I found it to be a rather fascinating little, little insight into, you know, uh, uh, Stanford University uh, excising my question out of the Q&A later, taking it out of the video, when in fact, you know, Baidu and Robin Lee, of course, were, were, were going through the same process, being accused of censorship by the Chinese government and others. So that was a fantastic interview. Herman Mashaba of Black Like Me Cosmetics Company from the townships of South Africa, getting up and walking out to my office at 4 a.m. and talking to him uh, about creating a consumer brand in apartheid era South Africa. Yeah. And the lessons, oh my God, the lessons that he was able to give us. And I think Jim Cook of the Boston Beer Company too was one of the interviews from that chapter. He was the first guy I spoke to out of the 77 interviews, I think, that went into that book. He was the first one. And you talk about just a remarkable story and how many lessons and nuggets dropped out of that. This, this, this man who is personally responsible for bringing craft beer to America, truthfully, I know that there were others 
I know the stories. Jim, mainstreamed craft brewery uh, and, and bringing this interesting 10,000-year-old practice um, to the American public. So Thin Ice is a fantastic chapter. And it talks about how these interesting companies found ways to wrong foot massive companies and uh, people who should have on paper been able, been able to roll over and crush them with ease. And yet they found a way to marginalize them, to isolate them over in the corner and carve out a place in the world where they could survive. So Thin Ice is a fantastic chapter. And it's, it's certainly one of my favorites in the book. Another chapter I really like is the Seize the Microphone chapter. Mm -hmm. Can I talk about that one a little bit? Seize the Microphone. Um, that, if I, if I remember correctly, yeah. is uh, I interviewed Bob Parsons, founder of GoDaddy, in that chapter. He's been so successful. He was one of the first guys I reached out to. It took me 12 months to get on his calendar. He was the last interview I ended up doing. And when I finally, I got 15 minutes notice that he was available. This PR person called me and said, Bob Parsons is available to talk to you in 15 minutes. You ready? It's like, clear the desk. You know, Yes, I'll, I'll make myself available. <clears throat> and we talked for like an hour and a half. And very funny, generous, bigger than life. All the things that we've come to learn are sort of his hallmarks. And... You know, Parsons really talked about creating a category out of nothing and, and in the absence of a spokesperson, be the spokesperson, stand yeah. up and speak for the industry. And no one did it better than him for that yeah. period of time. So Parsons was amazing. The whole seize the microphone idea was so fascinating to me because there are categories where all the competitors only argue with each other. And they will only <laughs> argue over speeds and fees and <clears throat> technical language. And the consumer really isn't part of the discussion. And to have a, a company like GoDaddy that appeared out of nowhere in, in a Super Bowl ad yeah. that said, by the way, you can buy a domain for yourself. It's easy. Here's how. Come to us. And, you know, they're, they're, they're the biggest in the business. They're bigger than all their competitors combined. And, they're, and it's a magnificent company. I was lucky enough to interview Blake Irving, his successor, his hand-picked successor in unfiltered marketing. So we got a very kind of, you know, full circle GoDaddy experience between those two books. But Seize the Microphone is actually a very important chapter. And I found it to be one of my favorites as well. Okay, if you had to pick one more strategy from that book to slay the giants, what what is the... One last most important. I, I, I have it, you know, to me, <clears throat> there, there's a couple, but I want to focus on one winning in the last three feet. Yeah. Has been, has been a concept that says you don't have to win everywhere. You have to wear, you have to win somewhere. And if you can win, win at that last moment where you can create a jump ball um, out of what is essentially a slam dunk for your larger competitor. How can you steal their attention and eyeballs and money and foot traffic? How can you get in there at the last second and say, oh, us too? That's a fantastic chapter. And it's a lot of learnings in there. A lot of, a lot of the people I've consulted with over the years have pointed to that chapter and said, that's the one that mattered most to me. If I'm going to pick one last chapter, I'm going to say speed. And the silly thing about this chapter is I thought it would write itself. 
I thought, wow, smart, nimble companies, of course, they're faster than giants. And, and the thing about speed is no one tells you how to do it. It's assumed that you can be faster. The big learning I got out of speed uh, in writing this chapter and actually going out and interviewing experts on this subject, Mike Cassidy, who has since moved on many times uh, since I wrote that book. He's just gone from success to success. I'm envious of this man's uh, ability to um, you know, monetize these ideas. Um, but Mike talked about forming direct hit back in the early search engine days, talked about some of the other startups that he'd been involved with and, and sort of distilling, you know, the lessons that he laid out. I, I found very clearly that it's not, you know, speed-based cultures don't just make decisions faster, they make decisions better. And the reason that they can make better decisions is because they've stripped all the fat out of the decision-making process. So he said to me, and I remember the quote, it just it stuck with me over the years. And when I keynote Killing Giants, when I get up on stage and talk to companies about the learnings from this book, one of the things I always come back to is this, this quote that he left me with, which was, anytime I form a company, I get everyone together in the room. And when you know, when we put this idea forward, uh, uh, you know, they yell and scream and they say, Mike, this is the dumbest idea I've ever heard in my life. And here's why. But when we make a decision, I want them to come back to me and say, five minutes ago, I hated this idea. And now, you know, now I can think of three ways to make it better. There's no room on a high performing team for I told you so. Yeah. And that speaks to vigorous debate <laughs> evidence-based decision-making, right? Facts, not feelings. The decisive nature of making a decision and then complete alignment behind it. And if you can harness those forces, then speed becomes a weapon. You, you can't just take your to-do list and do it in half the time and congratulate yourself that you're doing a good job because you're going to cut corners and you're going to make mistakes. That's not yeah. what a speed-based culture is. What is the biggest failure or mistake you've made in your career? And what did you learn from it? I've made several. <laughs> I've made many. Um, I'll, I'll tell you an interesting one. This goes back to our, our, this goes back to my career at Sony early on, back in the 90s when I was running uh, consumer, the consumer media business for them. Blank VHS tapes, remember them? Blank yes, audio tapes, totally. eight millimeter cassettes. Yep. So I had all that business for the U.S. and I had the P&L for that business. I put together a a big idea promotion with uh, uh, some partners of ours at at uh, Sony Wonder, and that was the sort of children's network. Uh, that had licensing rights to Nickelodeon and some other things. And I thought to myself, you know, these tests, well, it'll be very good. And I did an on-pack promotion and I put pre-recorded tape in with blank media and sold it into Walmart, who was responsible for about 35% of our total revenue. And what was fascinating is we got a huge, huge amount of merchandising behind it. The problem is 
Not everyone wants Ren and Stimpy uh, cartoons. Not everyone wanted that particular slice of media. Right. So all of a sudden we had some unsold inventory that we had to deal with and it created a problem for us. We'd never seen returns like that, but we sold blank media. We sold razor blades, right? right. Pure commodities, ball bearings that go to the consumer market, blank VHS tape. Um, <clears throat> so all of a sudden we had this, this, this huge return problem. And from a PL standpoint, it was very complicated because I never had to deal with that before. Now my partners don't want me to dump the inventory anywhere because it's especially made for us. Big headache. Yeah. And the the lesson there, it, it's complicated because the, the lesson there is that, you know, when you stray away from what you're known for and what you're specifically good for, and, and really what I'm referring to is the blank media buyer at Walmart said, my biggest vendor is giving me this promotion. Obviously, it's going to be okay. But the consumer said, what's this? And we had maybe 20% returns, which is a pretty big number when you're talking about yeah. millions of packs, right? So <clears throat> we had to deal with that operationally. We had to deal with the personalities involved. We had to deal with inventory. We had to crush stuff. It was, it was very unhappy. Now, here's the... The, the silver lining to all of this, we priced it as pre-recorded media, not blank tape. It was the most financially successful thing we'd ever done. Even, even with the returns. Had, even, even when you filtered in the returns. And when we got into the conversation with the Sony Wonder people, and the relationships were good. They understood what happened. They just looked, just do the right thing and everything will be fine. We did the right thing. It was painful. We assumed we were going to sell everything through. Um, <clears throat> they said, 20% returns? Wow, that's great. That's better than we ever get. We typically have 35 to 40% returns. It's like you're kidding. Who said this? This was the Sony Wonder people. Okay. Way back when. Yeah. Years and years and years ago. And I thought to myself, I have no idea what's going on here. Because then I assumed, you know, I needed to take a 60-minute audio cassette and slap it onto the side of a Cadillac and get my average unit sales up. Um and at that point, we all just had to sort of like regroup and, and decide we weren't going to do that kind of thing anymore. But it was a fascinating experience because yeah. all of a sudden you're, you're kind of playing out of position now. Um, and, and that was that was a huge that was a huge learning a good <laughs> and analogy. one that I wasn't going to get reading an article. You had to live through it to really understand it. <laughs> that is a good analogy, playing out of position, right? You don't know the nuances of that position. It's not mm -hmm. muscle memory. Thank you so much, Stephen, for sharing your stories and insights with us today. Here's some of my key takeaways from this episode. Number one, smaller companies that are smart and nimble can outmaneuver the giant competitors they face in their industry. Number two, as we find places of thin ice where we excel, we find ways to marginalize and isolate big companies while carving out a place in the world where we can survive. Number three, in the absence of a spokesperson, we need to be the spokesperson. We should stand up and speak for the industry or category we create. Number four, we don't have to win everywhere. We only have to win somewhere. We should win in the last three feet to steal the show when our competitors aren't expecting it. Number five, beating our larger competitors doesn't just mean making faster decisions. It means making better decisions. 
To learn more about or connect with Stephen, you can find him on LinkedIn or visit his website at stephendenny.com. You can also check out his book, Killing Giants, at porchlightbooks.com. And there's links to each of those sites in the blog post for this episode at monetizationnation.com. You can also get a free ebook that I wrote about passion marketing and learn how to become a top priority for your ideal customers at passionmarketing.com. You can also subscribe to Monetization Nation on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, our Facebook group, and on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks for joining me for this episode. I wish you success in toppling the Goliaths in your industry. Do you want to become a better digital monetizer? To receive great monetization stories and secrets, please go to monetizationnation.com and join free. And if you liked today's episode, please subscribe to the show and share it.